Hello and welcome to the 94 Feet Report NBA podcast. I am one of your hosts, as always, Eric Spiropoulos. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros NBA. Uh, we are back finally with our kind of unedited, kind of free-flowing, you know, podcast episode. It's about 30 minutes. We don't really prepare any notes or in-depth stats, just kind of a free-flowing conversation. Uh, Before we get Corbin on, just want to remind you, we're brought to you again by Draft. Um, You know, if you're sick and tired of losing to those fantasy pros on sites like DraftKings and FanDuel, well, then you have to sign up with Draft because your chances of winning increase by 80%. Because it's not a salary cap site, you actually have to do real live snake drafts each day to build a lineup. Um, it's really fun. It's really unique. Um, so give it a chance and use promo code 94 feet in all caps. Um, and you'll get free entry into a paid contest with your first deposit. So check out draft promo code 94 feet, all caps. Corbin, how are you doing this morning? Hey, I'm doing okay, man. Some pretty surprisingly entertaining basketball yesterday. So coming in today with a nice little, uh, let's say some, some sort of um, strength from watching that game. Yeah, I mean, we obviously knew James Harden was not going to play uh, yesterday against the Warriors. Luke Mabamute is still out for the Rockets as well. Um, and then, you know, about, I want to say, five or six hours before the game, we got news that Kevin Durant won't play. So, <clears throat> well, <clears throat> excuse me, while that might have made the game, you know, a closer game, you know, going into it, I think that probably kind of diluted the entertainment value but of course Steph Curry is extremely entertaining Klay Thompson getting hot is entertaining Chris Paul as we saw last night can still be very entertaining um so it was it was a close game the the Warriors ended up winning 124 to 114 and you know you can we can use this game as a kind of a good way to analyze the James Harden injury because this is the second game without James Harden for the Rockets they destroyed the Magic who are uh, one of the sadder, sadder teams in the league right now, you know, <laughs> this season and also moving forward. Um, that's a whole other story, though, and maybe something I'm going to bring up in our segmented episode over the weekend. But uh, so they, they destroyed the Magic very easily, which allowed them to not play their guys that many minutes, I think, in that game, um, which was Wednesday. So they did have a second night of a back to back like the Warriors did. Uh, no one really played above 32 or 33 minutes against the Magic. So, you know, no one was really that tired. And in this game against the Warriors, you know, Eric Gordon played 38 minutes, Chris Paul played 36, Ariza, I think, played 35, Gerald Green played 34. Um, So the minutes were pretty high, but not insane yet. Um, But the problem with James Harden's injury is that it puts so much pressure on Chris Paul and Eric Gordon because those are, I mean, and Eric Gordon is, is a fine ball handler, but if you're relying on him to run an offense as they are right now for the, for the bench units whenever Chris Paul's not on the floor, he just, he, he has good intentions, but he doesn't have a good enough passing ability to actually make the plays for others, like setting up a big man like a Nene or a Capella or finding shooters when he drives to the rim. Oftentimes, Eric Gordon, when he drives to the rim, he's putting blinders on and just looking to attack. And that's a problem because obviously the Rockets have so many players that rely on you know, their guards getting them shots like Ryan Anderson, Tucker, Mbamute when he's healthy, Trevor Ariza. And obviously the big men. So Eric Gordon struggles making the right play at the right time. So when Chris Paul's off the floor and James Harden is injured, the Rockets' offense can take a hit. Um, and now, obviously, they've got Gerald Green, who's uh, provided quite the big boost for the Rockets. He had 29 points yesterday against the Warriors in 34 minutes, 9 of 16 from the field, 8 of 15 on three-pointers. And then against the Magic, he had 27 points and 6 rebounds, hitting 7 of 10 three-pointers. And he actually became the first player in Rockets history, Rockets team history, to have back-to-back games of at least 7 three-pointers. And that was just his fifth game, fourth and fifth games with the team. So, you know, what do you, what do you think 
are the biggest effects of the James Harden injury and, you know, really, how do you think it'll affect the Rockets moving forward? Can they, you know, hold on to that second seed in the West with the Spurs, I think, two and a half games behind them? Um, obviously, I would think that they're not going to catch the Warriors with the one seed, you know, even if Durant misses another game or two. Um, but what do you think are the biggest effects on the team from this James Harden injury? Um, well, obviously, you mentioned most of it as far as Eric Gordon have to take, take over a, a bigger role on the offensive end as a playmaker and, and getting the team involved. And like you said, while he's got it shooting and, and he's been really good this year at getting to the rim, he has this like kind of direct, you know, kind of crossover, put your body, his body into you, kind of rugged way to get to the rim. It's really kind of cool to see and electrifying because he always seems to let it off just before the shot blockers get to him. But it puts a lot more pressure on players who, mind you, don't are kind of suited for roles. Like Trevor Reza is a good defender and a solid three-point shooter, but you can't really put him in a role that he's not supposed to be. That's him. He's not a playmaker. He's not someone who's going to um, set other people up. You know what I mean? So you really just have James Harden and Chris Paul. And then when James Harden's gone, all that pressure now is on Chris Paul to do everything, which uh, like the, I think the Rockets are better suited than, let's say, last year's Clippers, you know, where he actually has help. Or I'd say Eric Gordon's a better sidekick for him than uh, – who, who would have been the player with Blake Griffin injured? Uh, Austin Rivers, <laughs> uh, you know, like Jamal Crawford. Like I think he has a he has better help with um, Eric Gordon, but it puts a lot of pressure on not only Chris Paul as a playmaker, but other players that scores because that offense has to come from somewhere, you know. And so it's it been, been really cool to see Joe Green go off because I mean, twenty nine points yesterday. I think he had twenty seven the day before. Like he's been going off and getting points from somewhere on this team. In, in, in a dynamic way. I mean, he's mostly shooting spot three-point shooters and occasionally get to the rim. But having that type of play, cause especially with P.J. Tucker being just uh, just horrible down the stretch lately and then missing Abamute, I think it, the Rockets' wings have more um, – there's more riding on them than ever with James Harden now, especially since the Rockets are not used to this. James Harden's been a very durable player for the past, what, four seasons? So they, they've never had to endure a stretch without him like this. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. It, it's like, it just feels weird that the team knows that they're not going to have Harden for at least two weeks, um, probably more like three weeks if you think about it. I mean, realistically speaking, that grade two hamstring is partial tear. Um, and obviously for a player like Harden, I think it, he's probably one of, if not the player that relies the most on stopping and starting, which affects obviously the hamstring. So, you know, him, rushing him back would be a huge mistake because those hamstring injuries can linger and you don't want him lingering those injuries. I mean, last year in April and the end of, in the beginning of March, I mean, the end of March, he had that uh, wrist injury that he played through. Um, and, you know, a wrist injury is different than the hamstring because the hamstring affects his movement and, you know, he can't really move with the bad hamstring, but the wrist injury affected his shot. And it was something that, you know, Ultimately, I'm not sure how healed it got for the playoffs. It, it didn't look to bother him that much, but it de certainly affected him for about two to three weeks in the regular season. So, and you just you just can't rush him back. And so, you know, it's time. And, and I, I agree that the, the Rockets are better set up than you know, say last year's Clippers team that Chris Paul was on. Um, and it's like a system that works. The only the, the concern with me is is just the the, the load, and th that's the offensive load placed on Paul and Harden, and more importantly, the minutes load. And luckily, they've got Gerald Green, who can you know you don't want him playing thirty minutes a night, but if he's hot, he can play thirty minutes a night. And his defense is not good, but if he's shooting well, you can you can get away with playing him from twenty five to thirty minutes a night, like they did yesterday. Um, and that can take off some minutes from Ariza, take some minutes off PJ Tucker, take some hopefully take some minutes off Eric Gordon. 
you know, if Briante Weber can provide them 10 to 15 minutes a night of solid defense and, and, you know, no mistakes in terms of no turnovers, that's also huge for getting Chris Paul's minutes down. You don't, you don't, you don't want to play Chris Paul more than 30, 40, 32 to 34 minutes a night. I, I know that they want some victories and they want to hold on to that number two seed, but if you, if you strain Paul too much and he gets hurt while Harden is out, Oh, for, forget about I mean, just forget about it, really. So mm-hmm. that's the point. That's And that, that's the careful balance. And this brings me to some of their role players. And I'm just going to get some stats. I just looked it up right now. Ryan Anderson, in December, averaged 7.3 points per game, shooting 31% on three-pointers. And so far in January, he's shooting 25% on three-pointers. This is Ryan Anderson. This is not uh, an unsuspected three-point shooter. And then let me bring you to this more probably depressing stat if you're a Rockets fan. P.J. Tucker, obviously not known for his shooting, but he has not hit a three-pointer since December 22nd. It's currently January 5th. It's currently January 5th, by the way. It's been about, I want to say, six games since he's hit a three-pointer. And in the past ten games, he's shooting 29.5% from the field. I mean, he is getting to the point, and you saw it yesterday against the Warriors. They had Klay Thompson on Tucker, and Tucker was stationed in the corner waiting for a three-point shot potentially, and P- Klay Thompson was standing in the paint to help out against potential drives from Paul or Gordon. That's how far away he was guarding P.J. Tucker off the ball because he knows this guy hasn't shot anything in the past 10 games. I'm going to leave him somewhat open, help out against the drive. If they pass it to him, I do a nice closeout, and he's not going to shoot it, and he's going to pass it right back, and I'll go back to my spot playing off-ball defense, helping out in the paint. That is going to hurt the Rockets' offense in the playoffs as teams – put so much pressure on Paul and Harden and leave guys like Tucker and Mbamute. And if they're not hitting their shots, they're going to get the ball. They're going to have to create something. Him, Ariza, uh, Mbamute, Anderson, that's going to hurt the Rockets. So Tucker not hitting his shots, Anderson not hitting his shots is going to kill the Rockets' offense, not only right now with Harden out, but in the playoffs. They're going to have to be able to hit their shots to make the Rockets' offense elite and have it worth guarding them um, for the opposing defense. And see, that's that's one thing I think we all did worry about when they first signed Abamute and Tucker because, yes, great defenders, um, durable guys. They can switch ball across multiple positions. You can put them on another team's offensive uh, focal point, and they can at least slow him down. But on the offensive end, would they hit enough shots to keep the defense honest? And what we're seeing is kind of the worst-case scenario of that effect where – we don't know about Mbamute, but we know that P.J. Tucker, when he's ice cold, the whole dynamic of the offense changes because that's one side of the court, usually on the weak side, where the defense can just go, hey, we don't even need to bother him because he's either A, going to take the shot and miss it, or B, his confidence is going to be so shook because he's missed three or four from the right corner that he won't take it. He's going to get the ball and pass it right back out. So it's that much easier for the defense to focus on a Chris Paul, which because of James Harden's injury, it's not like you have two dynamic offensive creators. You have Chris Paul, who pretty much does everything, and then Eric Gordon, who can do a few things. But we also saw a couple of plays where he was trying to, like, direct offense, and he would – I mean, he drove and made some a couple of good passes. But remember where he would get bigs on switches, pull up for three? I think he airballed two threes, and that's more of, like, a tired airball kind of deal. You know what I mean? Like, it's not oh, like Eric Gordon can't shoot. But it was clear that, hey, I'm kind of exhausted here, and that shot was reflective of that. You know what I mean? So – with those wings, I do think it's important, like I said, to, to, to at least get them some of Hasselblad in shooting. Because we did talk about this early when we first talked about the Rockets. And, hey, you know, with this philosophy. And that's why Gerald Green right now is really good. Because, yes, defensively, he provides next to nothing. But offensively, he is such a, a, a put-him-out-and-let-him-roll kind of player. And, and, and he's been that player from 
I remember from back with Phoenix, but even, you know, as far back as all the other, I think he was on six different teams. You know, he's that's been him. He's like an offensive firecracker. And so to have that there, I think if, if Joe Green is playing well enough as well as Chris Paul and the rest of the teams, and they're not playing the Warriors every night, so that'll help them too. They'll get yeah. some magic teams. They'll get, you know, they're going to get some some crappy East and, and maybe the Suns in the West. You know, they'll, they'll be fine in that regard. But when they play those lead teams, when they play the Spurs, when they play, you know, the um the Thunder, it's going to be hard. It's going to be interesting to see how they adjust with that while Harden is out. Because like you said, they, they never had to deal with this before. And Paul's a great creator, but you have to be very careful about playing him between minutes and possibly wearing him out or getting another injury. You know, and, and Paul picks up these weird injuries, like jamming his hand and, you know, going across a pick or something. So you have to be really careful about that. Because if Paul gets injured while Harden is injured, oh, my God. Yeah, and so and Chris Paul's shot and his passing has been very good. His shot has been he's been missing a bunch recently, and you know he's down to forty five percent from the field, which is his lowest since his second year in the league. Forty five percent. Yeah. So and, and he's obviously he's still shooting forty percent on three pointers and taking a career high six point four per game. But his shot, you know, a couple game uh, uh, there were a couple of shots. In yesterday's game where it was like not directly in the paint but very close to being in the paint and he took these weird kind of floaters and he missed them. Um, he likes this. I mean he likes what he t- he attacked the bigs on switches a lot more yesterday than he has in recent games. But even then he still sometimes relies on this really long step back kind of three that you know he's you know really hit or miss on. But uh, my final point about the role players. So PJ Tucker is now down to 33.6 percent on threes. You know it's not terrible but. That's going to keep dropping if he continues shooting like this. He, I, I would not be surprised by the end of the by the end of this month to see him at around thirty percent if he keeps shooting like this. And Luke Mbamute, for his credit, is shooting before he went injured, uh, before he went down with an injury. It has been shooting thirty seven point three percent on threes, and if he can come back and keep that, that's very good, and they'll be happy with that. Of course, Mbamute only attempts two point eight per game, while Tucker attempts over three. So Tucker's more willing to shoot, but I think the Rockets when Mbamute comes back. Put him in the corner and say, listen, don't be afraid to shoot. I mean, you've got to shoot. You're the better shooter this season than Tucker, and obviously they need him back for the defensive purposes. But another interesting kind of aspect of the Harden injury, and we'll translate it more to a league-wide or you know more of a general issue, is, is the MVP race. Because a lot of people had Harden as the front runner, and even if you didn't have Harden as the front runner, if you had you had him at number two, I, I haven't heard anyone who doesn't have Harden at least in the top two in MVP between him and LeBron. But now this puts Harden out. I think it'll be three weeks that he's out, and that's probably going to make him miss you know eight to nine games, depending on you know maybe he's even longer. Maybe it's only two weeks. I doubt it. But either way, he's going to miss around seven games, and. There was a stat, I think it was in Kevin Pelton's piece, who wrote about the injury. He said, the only MVP who's ever won the award by missing more than uh, at least seven games is Allen Iverson in 2001. So, pretty much oh, wow. the MVP has to play over, you know, 76 or 77 games of the season to win the award. That's pretty much just what history says about the award. So, this, I don't want to say it automatically gets rid of Harden's MVP ca- campaign. Maybe he comes back and goes on an insane... 10 game stretch but it's more likely that he's out three weeks he misses eight to nine maybe 10 games and when he comes back he's on a minutes restriction and he's kind of rusty not rusty like that but he's you know not at his full peak so that's another five or so games where he's not peak James Harden MVP form I think this really I mean I tweeted it out basically when Harden got injured I'm going all in on LeBron winning MVP but I think that this injury can take Harden out and on the other hand for the Rockets perspective if Harden comes back and they're clearly not going to win the first seed and Harden is most likely not going to win MVP I think that's actually a blessing in disguise because they'll realize hey 
We don't have to play him that much because he's not going to win the MVP like last year where it was coming down to the wire. We're not going to get the number one seed. And, you know, we'll probably be able to get the number two seed, you know, with him just playing normal minutes, load like 35 a game. But I think this allows them to be more strategic and focused on resting him and Paul and the other guys because they're not going to get the number one seed and he's probably not going to win MVP. So while it's, it's kind of disappointing for Harden and Harden's fans, I think for the Rockets as an organization, if they realize this, and I think they should, this actually could be a blessing in disguise in terms of being more focused on resting him and strategic minutes load down the stretch when Harden returns, both for him and Paul and other guys like Trevor Ariza. I, I do agree with you, man. But my question is, and this is for you, do you think that the Rockets would do that? Because historically, Harden has such a heavy minutes load in general. And they play him, I mean, mind you, like he hasn't had an injury like this before. So that's one thing. But he always plays so many minutes. And do you think that Dan Tony is the kind of coach that would go, hey, you know, for the greater good, we're going to give you we're going to give you some time off. We're going to lower your minutes. They probably would do it when he first comes back, you know, minutes restriction. You know, when you're first coming back from injury. Excuse me. But long term. Do you think they're going to go, you know what, Harden himself will go, hey, I want to get that MVP. I've been a bridesmaid for three years now. I think we can still get that one seat. Just roll me out, coach. Like, do you think that's more on the coaching staff or more on Harden? Because I'm apt to believe that it's Harden that forces himself to play so much. And mind you, Dan Tony gives a lot of players all those minutes. So I'm not saying that, that, that the coaching staff has nothing to do with this. But in the same vein, do you think that this MVP race um, is affecting Harden by any chance? Because he's like, hey – this could be my year, mind you, you know, even with the injury, let, if I come back and we're, let's say, four or five games out, you know, we tread water, Chris Paul plays brilliantly, and, and we have a, a pretty good stretch of the schedule. If that being the case, do you think that I can continue to, um, you know, get back in there and, fin- and finish it off and, and really go for that MVP all the way? It's just, it's, it's tough. It, one, I think it depends how many games back they are of the Warriors. If they're not, maybe even a third seed by then. You know, if they're in the third seed, and two games behind the Spurs for the second seed, then they're going to have to come back and they're going to probably play him to make sure they get the second seed in that potential second-round matchup to have home court advantage because last year against the Spurs, they didn't. They the San Antonio had home, was the number two seed. But in terms of the MVP, I think this it, it's, it's partially, I don't want to say to blame if they were to play him a lot, but you have to put some emphasis on the player himself, then the coaching staff, and then management because think about it. If you're... If you your management, Daryl Morey knows what everyone on the Rockets organization should know that they're judged by the playoffs. They've even said that much. They literally have said, "We know we're judged what happens in the playoffs." So you just have to show hard in the stats. Listen, James, no one has won an MVP missing more than seven games. Uh, Allen Iverson did it, I think, in 2001. And you know what? Your your chances of winning are, are very low, especially if you miss you know 10 games with his injury, and then you come back on a minutes restriction. That's probably another five games where you're not yourself. That's 15 games of you know. Nothing, really, pretty much from Harden. So that's showing him that, and maybe that'll somehow point him to realize that, you know, the MVP's not realistic. Now, obviously, maybe he comes back quicker. Maybe LeBron starts resting more, which is another thing we'll talk about in just a moment. Um, And maybe there's a slight chance he gets MVP, but still, I just think that management has to step in. Dale Moy and the the other upper executives have to step in and say, Coach D'Antoni, listen, we've got to... You know, if we're in the third seed, fine. Play the guys to get the second seed. But if we're in the second seed, five games behind the Warriors, and they're healthy, just forget it. Just rest. Be strategic. Make sure we get the second seed, but let's make sure everyone's fresh for the playoffs. We're not going to get the number one seed. Play James, you know, no more than 35 minutes a game, really, on most nights, because he's probably not going to get MVP. And you have to put your foot down. I know the player wants to play, but and he's the star, you know, of the franchise and, and basically the face of the franchise, but you got to put your foot down and say, James, you 
got tired in the playoffs. We all got t- the Rockets got tired in the playoffs last year in the second round. We can't afford that this year. You have to be smarter. We're going to rest you more, be more strategic with the minutes low. Chris Paul's going to be more strategic. He's 32 years old and has injury history. Let's be smarter. Let's look forward to the playoffs. Let's make sure we're fresh for more than two rounds of the playoffs and move forward from there. But in terms of the other MVP race and really the other candidate is LeBron James. And I, I said I'm going to go all in on LeBron winning MVP, but I also think that there's another side plot or potential plot twist coming in the second half of the season, and that's LeBron resting more because Isaiah Thomas has returned. So obviously Isaiah Thomas returned. He had 17 points in that game against the Blazers. He didn't play the, the second night of a back-to-back against the Celtics, and you know there's the whole thing about when he's going to get his video tribute, and Paul Pierce doesn't want that video tribute happening on his jersey retirement. Uh, petty, petty. Yeah, so anyways, but Thomas is back, and he's not fully back, still on a minutes restriction for a foreseeable future, but he will soon be back playing, you know, 30 minutes a night. And that gives the Cavs another great offensive player. I don't think people realize how great Thomas was offensively last year. And if he's anywhere close to that, he's going to be great offensively for them. But that allows LeBron to rest more. I would not be shocked if in March LeBron takes off five games for rest. Maybe not in a row, but in that month he might take off five games. I think that. I mean, you know, he's made eight straight finals. He had a big offensive load and usage in the, you know, the beginning half of the season without Thomas as basically the the guy to create the shots for the Cavs. And, you know, their defense is bad, and he was not good defensively, but he's doing it. He's been better recently. But I think LeBron knows, hey, I've got to take at least three to five games off February, March, April, in that in those months to be fully fresh and ready for playoffs and ideally and most likely another run at the finals. I'm right there with you, and, and and having Isaiah Thomas does bring a different dynamic to this team because hey, you know Dwayne and Dwayne Wade's been a very capable guard off the bench, really adapting to that uh, let's just say backup point guard role. But now you have someone who is different on the starting lineup than a Jose Calderon or Derrick Rose, with Derrick Rose who really get to the rim, but he wasn't even have the passing vision or the shooting ability to do anything else, and Calderon. He's really just a placeholder at point guard. He gets them into their sets. He'll make a three or two, but what? I think he's averaging three points and an and assist and a half, two assists. That's not his role because basically LeBron takes care of all the major playmaking duties and, and all the scoring down to clutch and down to stretch. And to have some like Isaiah Thomas, we saw when he first came against Portland that just amazing no-look pass he threw doing Wade at the end of the, in the middle of the fourth, if I remember. But those are plays we're going to see more often than not. He's He has that, um, that Kyrie Irving dynamic in the sense of someone who can create at nothing and you can just give the ball to him and say hey go to work the Cavs don't have aside from LeBron James and so you're right with him there and with the, the surprisingly deep bench that Cleveland has with IT back now LeBron could get some time off you know I mean and, and we don't know if they're chasing the number one seed I I personally don't think they are I think they're going to just stay where they are they've won the East what six years now or LeBron has being in a variety of different uh, standings so I don't think it's that big a deal to him but, yeah, if with IT back and healthy and once he gets out of the minutes restriction and, you know, he sees how he plays with the Tristan Thompson. Jay Crowder seems rejuvenated and plays better or played way better when Isaiah Thomas was in than when Isaiah Thomas wasn't. Do you know what I mean? So having that dynamic, let's see how he plays with Wade. Let's see how he is with the shooter's lineup of Kyle Korver and and, and, and um, J.R. Smith and them. You know what I mean? It, it brings up so many different offensive dynamics and, and so many different offensive looks that Coach Luke can go to. And I think that you can do it without LeBron, and LeBron could get that much-needed rest. And with the way he's been playing, you know, and the team's more than above water, I don't see how he couldn't win MVP in this race. Because, let's face it, aside from Harden, it's not that big 
a race. You know what I mean? Giannis has been great, but, you know, this team's been eh. And I can't think of anyone offhand right now that, like, you would say, okay, MVP race, but I wouldn't put them like, oh, they're right there in a contender. You know what I mean? It was Harden, and then it was, like, LeBron. LeBron was a couple steps ahead. But now that, you know, Harden's been injured after a couple of duds beforehand, it was like, oh, well, LeBron's still been playing well. And now, I'm like I said, I'm all with you on LeBron being the, the MVP just because of the narrative's sake. But like you said, IT really opens that up because – now LeBron can continue to play the way he's been playing, but he's going to play as many minutes or as long. I mean, he's averaging, what, 39 minutes in the first month of the season, if I remember? That's not going to have to happen, and that's going to be good for the Cavs moving into the playoffs. Yeah, and there are so many aspects about Thomas returning both for the Cavs and for LeBron and for the MVP race. I think there's another side to LeBron where he doesn't rest as much. Like He takes off two, maybe two to three games and lo- lo- lessens his minutes low, but also realizes, hey, this is, I mean, this is a wide-open MVP for me to just grab and add to my legacy. And you know what? I think if I play enough and get this MVP while also, you know, being smarter, you know, not playing more than 35 minutes a night, taking off two or three games maybe in April closer to the playoffs, I can still be fresh with Isaiah to make the finals. And that's really all that matters because no one expects him to beat the Warriors in the finals, but they expect him to get to the finals. And, you know, I think he can do that even if he only rests, you know, two to three games. If those games are in April right before the playoffs start and Isaiah Thomas is getting back into his groove, that's enough offensive creation with him, Wade, other guys, J.R. Smith, Kevin Love. So I think LeBron can balance the resting and playing enough and playing well enough for the MVP. And then for the, you know, for the Cavs perspective as a team, adding Isaiah Thomas, well, you know, he's going to be starting as soon as, I, I believe he's starting uh, in their next game on Saturday. Um that brings up the question of what do they do with their starting lineup? Because obviously they put Kevin Love and they've had Kevin Love starting at center, Tristan Thompson off the bench. But now that Isaiah Thomas is back, this this team, the Cavs, still ranked 26th defensively, which is just terrible. And Isaiah Thomas obviously is not a good defender. You know, he tries, but just the size is such a huge limitation for him. Do you consider bringing Thompson back into the starting lineup to get more defense? Because with Isaiah Thomas and with LeBron, you already have enough offensive playmaking, creation, and shooting to balance off the offense-defense, you know, in the starting lineup. I mean, I, I think it's something they consider because obviously Thomas, no, not a great defender. Kevin Love at center can be exposed, especially teams like the Warriors. Um, and the other aspect is, you know, how useful is Thomas in a series against the Warriors just from those defensive limitations? So I think it, there's so many interesting aspects of do you bring Thompson back into the starting lineup? How do you balance, you know, who plays with who? You want to stagger. Ultimately, when they're both playing their regular minutes, though, do you want to stagger Thomas and LeBron to have one of those great offensive players and playmakers on the floor at all times? You have to balance them playing with Kevin Love, balance them playing with a defensive-minded big like Thompson, especially if you have IT on the floor, because you know playing IT at point guard and Love at center, I mean, you get that. You get those two in a pick and roll, pick and pop. You're gonna you're gonna score almost every time, probably. That's how bad they can I be. Think <laughs> yeah. And at one point in time, Portland did attack them on that very play that you mentioned. Exactly. So this this also pre- presents interesting lineup possibilities for Tyron Lue balancing the bench. You know, guys like Dwayne Wade, Jeff Green, Kyle Korver, etc. Um, with the, the bigs, and you know, I I'm interested to see what they do with their starting lineup moving moving forward in terms of balancing the offense and defense. I, I I agree, and and mind you, I, I think I, if I was Ty, Tyrone Lue, I would bring Tristan Thompson back. I put Kevin Love on power forward, Tristan Thompson at center, LeBron small forward, Jared Smith, it we're good to go. The only thing I would be concerned about is Jay Crowder because, like I said, he seems to play so much better with it there. Mind you, it's only been one game, small sample size, but we saw how he was. He hasn't really been in the groove all year. You know what I mean? He'll have like some okay nights, and then he'll have nights where. You know, he's just, he doesn't seem to be there. You know what I mean? And 
that wasn't how he was in Boston. But that first night in Portland that IT came back, he was playing well. And he even mentioned it. Um, they I think they asked him after the game. He's like, yeah, isn't that kind of weird? You know, IT comes back and all of a sudden I know how to play again or whatever. But I, I don't know. I, I is it is it um feasible to say that okay, Jay Crowder, you're gonna come off the bench? You know, I mean, because yes, you could have. I mean, the Browns not going anywhere. I wouldn't bring Jay Crowder in for Jarrett Smith. It's going to be there, and and you need Kevin Love there. So it would have to be Jay Crowder who have to take that bench seat to bring Tristan Thompson in. And I think that actually work on a defensive level with having Tristan Thompson, but also offensively, you have a room running big that you know Isaiah Thomas can mess around with in his own in between his own drives and shots and and getting others involved. So that's another dynamic that let's just be honest. You know, Isaiah Thomas hasn't really messed with in a while. You know what I mean? He hasn't had that type of that type of active um, rim rolling big. You know what I mean? That will clear space, get some lane, get some lobs over the top, that sort of deal. Yeah, set some good screens, do the dirty work inside. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Yep. And I, I, it's interesting because, like, you know, you you bring up the interesting point of Jay Crowder coming off the bench and, you know, you want to bring in Thompson to balance out Isaiah Thomas at point guard defensively and J.R. Smith can be hit or miss sometimes. LeBron's effort can be hit or miss and Kevin Love – you know, has been can be okay defender, but of course can still be exposed by some of the best perimeter, you know, guards when, you know, they get him on a switch and a pick and roll or something like that. So I think, I mean, I don't know. I can't predict the future. I think that they'll continue with Love at center for the, you know, for the next couple of games with Isaiah Thomas back. I mean, Thomas will be, as I mentioned, he's going to be starting again on Saturday in their game against the Magic. I just looked it up. So that'll be a good chance to see if they keep Love at center and they say, let's 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 see for two to three games. How bad can it be with Thomas starting at point guard and Love at center? How bad is it defensively? Do we just outscore teams? Because I think that the Cavs, in the, in terms of the Eastern Conference playoffs and in terms of getting to the finals, they're content with outscoring teams. I mean, that's obviously what they're going to do. Their defense is 26. They can ramp that up in terms of their effort and intensity in the playoffs, but they're never going to be – they probably will never be an elite defensive team because Isaiah Thomas is going to be playing 30 minutes a night. Kevin Love will be playing over 30 minutes a night. So that automatically kind of you know discredits you from being a top, top-tier defensive team, especially in the playoffs. But I think that they know, listen, we can get to the finals by playing competent league average defense and having our top three offense, which they're the third offense right now in the league. So I think that they're not super concerned about their defense up until the finals. It's just all about the finals and that defense with Thomas at point guard playing over 30 minutes, Love potentially at center or even power forward playing over 30 minutes. That defense will get completely exposed probably by Golden State. And that is the concern. So in these next couple of games, when Thomas begins starting and playing more minutes, I'm interested to see how much they balance him and Love at center um, and what they do with Thompson, how soon they bring him to the starting lineup, if they do it at all. Maybe they save it for the playoffs. I'm not sure, but it's it's fascinating to watch. And, and Thomas's return adds so many you know effects onto the Cavs as a team, LeBron's MVP race, the resting strategy, their defensive balance, defense-offensive balance. So many interesting aspects about Isaiah Thomas returning, but it's so great to see him on the court. I mean, people who forgot, he's just one of the more one of the easiest players to root for and one of the most exciting players to watch. Absolutely. I mean, you look at the guy, you see what he's been through. You just can't feel, you just can't help but feel for him. And then to see him come in and not only play, but play better than anyone expected. As an NBA fan, you're excited. As a fan of just people, you know, and and how you go through these struggles and 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 bounce back, you're you're excited. But I agree with you. I think it's going to be interesting to see how this all is moving forward. I'm very glad, both as a semi-Cavs fan, I guess you could say, and as an NBA fan, to have Isaiah Thomas back. Great for the league. Great for the Cavs. Great to see him back and healthy and have overcome that injury that, you know, was so, was so, so rough, you know. So we'll see how this plays out. But I'm right there with you, man. It's, it's, it's a very interesting um, 
situation we have ourselves in now as fans and analysts, and it's going to be interesting to see what the Cavs do. Even Ty Lue, who I can't say I trust is a great basketball mind, but with all these weapons and, and, and players you have now, there's some ways you can go about this where you can really help your team out. And defensively, I agree with you, but I think that the Cavs, especially when they play the Warriors, it's, it's, it's a flawed strategy for sure. But I don't think that they're really trying to stop them. I think they're just going to try to outscore them. I mean, we saw how many easy breakaways and how many easy runouts the Warriors had last year. The, the Cavs weren't even trying on the defensive end. It was like, okay, let, let's just try to go back and run and hit a three on them. You know what I mean? So I, I hope that they amend that strategy and say, hey, you know, this is probably in our best interest to at least attempt to lock them down. You know, Dre Crowder actually did a passable job on Kevin Durant last time. But, um, you, you know, as far as long as you have Kevin Love and Isaiah Thomas out there and even just Isaiah – the cat, the Warriors, and any you know really good team with the personnel able, and even some without, will take that time to attack them. But like you said, moving forward is going to be interesting to see what the Cavs do, how the league plays in response to that, and how it is you know moving forward. Yeah, I mean, and my last point is that this is a different Cavs team, so <laughs> I agree that they you know they probably are going into the mindset of we're not going to stop them anyway, oh, so right. let's let's bog let's yeah. just, let's just double down on the offense, <laughs> and you know that's probably flawed but the Warriors are so good that teams have just no idea like the Rockets are trying to the Rockets were trying to go for that kind of balance and you know the Rockets are 10th defensively and first offensively so they're more balanced than the Cavs but they have too many I think they have too many one-way players like Tucker, Mbamute, Anderson all guys who just are specialized in one thing and can't really handle anything else um, so Tucker, Mbamute great defenders but you put the ball in their hands they pass it right back and they can't really shoot that well Anderson you know has been better defensively but still is nowhere close to competent really in terms of guarding you know Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and all those guys, Kevin Durant. And then for the Cavs, they've got all these great offensive players, Isaiah Thomas, Kevin Love. All those players can be taken advantage of by the Warriors. Now, they didn't they didn't have a player like Jay Crowder last year. You know, they were relying on Richard Jefferson to really stop or limit Kevin Durant. Jay Crowder's a better defender in his prime. That can help. But, of course, Kyrie being a better, bigger size. You know, Kyrie and Isaiah are close defensively, but just Isaiah just has, you know, physical disadvantages that Kyrie didn't. And then if they keep love at center that's a whole nother way for the Warriors to ex- exploit and attack the Cavs but interesting to see it's obviously down the road but we obviously expect that finals matchup again so obviously something to watch we got two injuries one player getting injured James Harden and one player coming back from an injury that are that is affecting the MVP race affecting the seating in the conferences affecting their resting and minutes load for the Rockets they're playing more minutes probably for the Cavs they're probably playing less over the next couple of weeks very interesting to see but I think that'll do it for this short and sweet episode of the 94 Feet Report NBA podcast. Again, this is a kind of our unedited, free-flowing pod uh, at the end of the week. We'll be back um, on Sunday, or, or Monday morning, I believe, with our uh, segmented style. We haven't done it in a while, so we're going to have a lot to talk about, Corbin, I think, this weekend. Huh. <laughs> yes, sir. Looking forward to it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, follow uh, me on Twitter, at Eric Spiros NBA. Check out our website, 94feetreport.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, at the 94feetreport. Corbin, you can throw out where people can follow you. Um, at Corbin Ford NBA on Twitter. And definitely take Eric's advice and follow at 94feetreport. We have some a host of great writers. I think we just got a new one um, in the past two weeks. I'm not going to name names. You're going to have to find them out yourself. And look <laughs> online and check us out. But big things happen over there, man. Great writers, great content. I'm plugging for him, plugging for me, but definitely check out the 94 Feet Report. There's always good stuff up there. All right, guys, check out our website. Follow us on Twitter. Follow the site on Twitter. Have a great weekend of watching NBA basketball. We will be back Monday morning with our segmented episode. Take care, guys.